minister out of John 13 today. And the scripture says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And so the title of my message today is From Head to Toe. So dear Father, I pray that you bless your word to our ears, that we would not just be hearers, but doers of your word today, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, from head to toe. So let me start off with a funny story. There is a, a boy who was at a dinner table with his family, and the boy said, hey, dad, like, uh, is it okay for us to eat bugs at dinner? And the dad said, oh, that is gross. Son, we're eating dinner right now. Don't talk about something disgusting like eating bugs. We can talk about this after dinner, son. Ugh. And so the son talked to his dad after dinner and said, hey, uh, you know, actually the father said, son, so you want to talk about eating bugs during dinner? And, and the son said, oh, actually, dad, we don't need to talk about it anymore. There is a bug in your soup, but now it's gone. <laughs> now it's gone. Classic. <laughs> you know, last week we talked about dynamics and family, and this whole series is called Family Matters because we believe families matter to us, to society, to God. And last week we talked about how when we choose to fight for our families, God fights for us. And the decisions we make today impact the generations of the future. And how many of you guys are with me where we want to create family cultures that future generations don't have to recover from? Amen. And I, I believe that many of us took a stance, whether we're married or single or divorced or married again, to be good family members, that we would fight for our siblings, fight for our parents, fight for our children, fight for our cousins, believing that when we fight for our families, God fights for us. And today, I want to get a little more practical and kind of answer this question, how can we create a healthy family culture? Yes, we want to fight for our families, but like, give me some more practical steps. So today, I'm going to teach all of us a question that if we ask regularly in our families, will create a healthier family culture for you. It's a powerful question. It's going to shake things up in this room. How many of you guys could use that question in your family? A question that I believe will help you to create a healthy family dynamic in your family culture. And I'm so excited about this. And uh, there's a whole idea about authority and leadership and dynamics and where are we going as a family, what kind of culture we are creating, who's leading this, who's in charge. And I believe by addressing some of these things, we can create more of a healthy family culture. In college, uh, which was like 15 years ago for me, <laughs> uh, back in college, I, I was on a dorm at ORU in Bible College, and there was a bunch of guys like on the same dorm, and we had curfew back then, so we knew that all the guys would be on the floor at the same time. And we realized that there are some power struggle dynamics. Who's in charge of this floor? And so we created a fighting competition called the Alpha Male. And we had a board on our floor that had every guy on the floor listed out by name and ranked by their level of authority on the floor. 
Like, who's in charge? Because we wanted to be a healthy community. We wanted to have a healthy culture and dynamics. And in order for there to be a strong culture, you need to have strong leadership. You need to know who's in charge, who's going to make sure things are right. You know, when someone messes up, who's going to call them out? So we created the Alpha Male Board, and we had a whole system of fighting to determine who is in charge. Whoever is the strongest got to be the leader because might makes right. And so we had this board, and you were able to challenge someone two slots above you, and if you beat them in a fight, you got to take their spot. And once a week on a Monday, you could challenge different people for their position. And so sometimes we'd have these fights on our floor. Sometimes we'd go down to the basement in the laundry room and all these people preparing for the ministry to bring peace to the earth, to bring biblical justice, to bring kindness, to teach one another to turn the other cheek. We would just punch each other in the face every Monday. And it was a beautiful thing. And uh, it was during those moments of trying to figure out who's in charge, I saw some pretty gory things through these eyes. I saw a grown man studying to be in the ministry knock out another ministry candidate with just a couple of punches in the face. I saw someone with a wooden sword hit someone in the face so fiercely that his tooth knocked out and we had to take him to the hospital. I watched my friends before they were studying biblical hermeneutics pass out in elevators because of concussions. You guys seem a little shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and this all happened because we were trying to figure out like, who's in charge? Who's the alpha male? And we had this assumption that if you were strong, you could lead, and from leadership came strength, and it created this culture that you would keep others submitted below you and under you by using your strength to keep them in their place. And so today, I want to talk about these power dynamics, and alpha male, this mindset of strength means leadership, isn't something that we created alone. Actually, in the first century, where the church was birthed, this was very similar to Roman culture. There's this mindset of might makes right. Have you ever heard that before? If you are strong, you are in charge. Or he with the gold makes the rules. If you had money and power and strength, you got to be in charge. You got to make the rules. And this was what the church was dealing with in the first century with uh, government, with church leadership, and with family. But then Jesus, he steps onto the scene, right, in the first century, and he has a whole different way of viewing leadership, a whole way of dealing with family dynamics and how we interact with humans. And he started to say things like, uh, hey, suffer not the little children. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Jesus started saying, hey, if someone punches you in the face or slaps you, turn the other cheek. Jesus started talking about, hey, the greatest among you shall be the lowest and the servant. And this really, like, was different than the Roman culture where might made right. And it especially affected the dynamics of the family. And so now the early church had to try to kind of figure out, like, okay, we've seen how Jesus 
loves. We've seen the principles he's explaining, but like, how do we apply this into family life? Like, what, what does this look like? Like, all right, we see Jesus on the cross, but now that he, he's been resurrected, now that he's no longer with us like he used to be, like, what does that look like for a healthy family dynamic? And so the, the, the Christian authors, Paul the Apostle, wrote in the book of Ephesians this explanation of maybe this is what family can look like. So in Ephesians 5, he says this, Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However... Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The next verse in Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your mother and father, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so we have this dynamic of how we can apply what Jesus taught during his earthly ministry while he was walking around, talking with the 12 disciples, talking with the crowds, how he was demonstrating a new ethic, a new dynamic, a new behavior of love. As Jesus really issued this question, what does love require of me? These first century writers answered this question for us in the family. What does love require for us as it concerns healthy family dynamics? And so we see in the scripture kind of a summary. So in summary, we can see basically four things. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Father, do not provoke your children. And uh, this kind of seems old-fashioned to us, doesn't it? It seems like this is outdated. This is not how the world operates today. But I, I want you to really step into the mindset of the people who first saw the scripture. This was radical. Like, this was a crazy idea. This was totally different than the Roman might makes right survival of the fittest. Like, whoever's powerful is in charge. Why would I ever, like, consider someone who is less powerful than me? It was so wild, and I, I kind of want to read this quote from Elvin Schmidt out of this uh, very pa powerful passage that kind of explains this. And it's a lot of reading, so go with me. And it says, as Christianity, spread, as Christianity spread throughout the world, its redemptive effects elevated women and set them free in many ways. The Christian ethic declared equal worth and value for both men and women. Husbands were commanded to love their wives and not exasperate their children. These principles were in direct conflict with the Roman institution of patria potestas patria potestas patria potestas <laughs> which gave absolute power of life and death over a man's family including his wife so in this institution a, a man could for any reason just say hey wife today is the day you die children today is the day you die like, women, children had no rights, and here the authors are saying, 
in the Christian text something completely different for how we should live. When Patria Potestas, say it with me, Patria Potestas was finally repealed by an emperor who was moved by high biblical standards, what a tremendous effect that had on the culture. Women were also granted basically the same control over their property as men. And for the first time, mothers were allowed to be guardians of their children. The biblical view of husbands and wives as equal partners caused a sea change in marriage as well. Christian women started marrying later, and they married men of their own choosing. This eroded the ancient practice of men marrying child brides against their will, often as young as 11 or 12 years old. The greater marital freedom that Christianity gave women eventually gained wide appeal. Today, a Western woman is not compelled to marry someone she does not want, nor can she legally be married as a child bride. But the practice continues in parts of the world where Christianity has little or no presence. And so here's the context of this whole scripture. And I think it's important that we view the scripture in context and not just quote individual parts. Because when we take things out of context, you con the text. It's all for him. Don't look at me. I'm just a vessel of the Lord. Just a vessel. And so here, here, here comes this radical new thought that Jesus applies to the family and to us. But as we, as we look at that summary, can we put that summary back on the screen? We see wives, submit to your husbands. Men, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Many of you are probably thinking like, okay, this is maybe an ideal from the scripture, but this isn't just real. And th there's a tension in our lives between the ideal and the real. Can I get a good amen? You're like, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. You're thinking like, have you seen my husband? <laughs> like, nobody should submit to him. Or like, husbands, love your wives. Like, I, I don't know. She scares me. Or like, Children, obey your parents. Like, my parents make horrible decisions. If I obey them, my, my life and my social life are in grave danger. Or, or fathers, do not provoke your children. I'm thinking, my children provoke me. What the heck? Like, are you kidding me? They're, like, this is what the scriptures say. But there's a tension between maybe the ideal and the real. And uh, I want to kind of dive into this. And, there's one of these I'm just going to head into that's probably the most controversial, and maybe you guys can help me guess which one kind of grates against society in today's world. And, and women, maybe you can help me guess which, which one of these is, is the one, you know, that we don't maybe like, and it's wives submit to your husbands. And when we hear this, we kind of get this picture in our mind. Eli, can you post this picture up here? Um, we see it. Okay, I want a Christian husband. To order a Christian husband, <laughs> click submit. <laughs> and we kind of have this, this mindset. And so I really want us not to con the text, but to bring context. You can get that off the screen. And, uh, and uh, first of all, it says wives submit to your husbands. So before we dive into this, I, I want to just really say, hey, hey, men, husbands specifically, uh, notice that the first word is wives, and the scripture isn't talking to you. So you don't need to be telling anybody about this necessarily. <laughs> it's talking, there's a lot of verses that say husbands, 
Do this, love your, you pay attention to those, all right? So women, I wanna let you know, as I dive into this text, I got your back, okay? Don't worry, everybody relax, all right? There's gonna be peace and harmony in this place. And so for us to understand the context of this verse in Ephesians 5.21, let's backtrack a little bit to Ephesians 5.20, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want you to notice that this word submit is the exact same word as we see in 521, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It says, submit, in verse 22, I mean, in verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And so in this scripture, we see, like, basically four applications that kind of explain how do we apply verse 21. So the scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. It doesn't say submit to one another out of reverence for one another, because sometimes we aren't worth submitting to, but it says do it out of reverence for Christ. And then it basically explains how does this apply throughout the rest of the family. And so then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Like fathers, don't provoke your children. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, you know, children, honor your mother and father. And this is how we can apply this overarching thing that's commanded to all of us as followers of Christ, to submit to one another. And so everybody in the Christian household submits to everybody. Everybody in the Christian hallmark submits to everybody. And so I believe that this is a principle that will help us create a healthy family culture that says, hey, nobody in this family is more important than anybody else. And that as followers of Christ, we are called to submit to one another. We need to be there. And this is the hallmark of Christian family, and it creates an environment that I think is really important. And so submission basically means like, hey, I am willing to put myself on loan for you. I am willing to give you my time, my talent, and treasure, and I will submit it to you. I will come up under your burden. I will come up under your life. I will come up under your situation and lift you up. I will submit my life to you out of reverence for Christ. And Jesus is the great example of this. In John 13, like we read earlier, Jesus says this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, large and in charge, right? He's the man with authority. It says, the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and returned to God. And so, so, so that word so is connecting these two thoughts, right? So, so he knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. So, linking these two things together, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin, and then he washed his disciples' feet. Isn't this an amazing picture of submission? Jesus, in charge, realized that as a Christian or as someone who, who really demonstrates a new ethic of love and what we do with power, we submit to one another out of authority, out of power. And I just want you to already imagine if we can have this mindset in our families, that nobody is more important than one another, that I am on loan to you, I am willing to sacrifice myself for your sake. 
That is just a powerful principle that I think will unlock so many things. So Jesus knew he was in charge, but he washes his disciples' feet. And I, I just want to communicate today. If you want to be the head or if you want to be in charge, start with feet. If you want to be the head, start with feet. You know, Amritha and I, we got in a fight earlier this week while I was experimenting with this principle I'm about to share with you, this question. And uh, it's so funny. We're in the, the middle of a fight, and we, we're, we're just kind of hashing things out. And uh, I, I, we're, we're not making much progress, so we just kind of agree to, like, say, all right, hey, we found resolution for this, this, this far in our conversation, and let's just kind of, like, you know, revisit this. And so she kind of fades away. It's awkward. It's quiet. And uh, about 20 minutes later, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch, and I smell this smell. I'm like, what is going on? And uh, I smell something amazing. She had baked in her anger oatmeal chocolate chip cookies for me. All for me. <laughs> She's like, I know I'm mad at you. I know we're in a fight. But you know what? I'm going to use my time in my talent, in my treasure. And I'm just, I'm not gonna let anger define our marriage in our family culture. In fact, I'm gonna submit the, the wonderful gift of cookies. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> and now, how many of you guys saw my Facebook post? Sometimes people feel the urge to put raisins in cookies. Shame on you! Yeah. Why do you do that? Yeah. Oh, you like raisins and cookies? Yeah. They belong in red, Boxes. <laughs> Who's with me? <laughs> Who's with Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> Submit. <laughs> and like, she she brought me these cookies. I was like, did she? And it's still, you know, when you're in a fight, there's that awkward like, I don't like you right now. I'm like, do you make these cookies for me? She's like, yeah. She's like, I like you. I like you. And I just believe that this whole idea of mutual submission, mutual submission is the hallmark of the Christian life. Like if anybody had an excuse not to submit, not to like be a servant and wash feet, it would be Jesus, amen? But yet he demonstrates not just might makes right and you take advantage of people because you're powerful. He says, no, I use my power for your benefit. I leverage my time, my talent, and treasure for your benefit. And this, this flies, I think, even in the face of culture today where, like, we take advantage of the weak all the time. Like, our, our women in society feel taken advantage of. Our children, you know, feel taken advantage of at times. People are, you know, making decisions for the future Earth, even when it comes to health and things like that, at the expense of future generations. But no, Jesus says, no, mutual submission. Mute, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I said I was going to make this real practical. So what, what does this look like in our life? And, and I want to share with you a question that I believe that if you ask daily in your lives, if everyone in your family asks this question to one another, it will really shape a healthy, healthy dynamic. And, uh, you know, this applies to people who are married, not married, singles. This applies to children. This applies to anybody who's part of any family, even the family of God. And so the question I want to help you understand to create this family dynamic is this question. I'm going to have us practice. So here it is. You ready? Ask this to everybody. What can I do to help?
Whew. This is the bridge to mutual submission. So let's practice this all together. Let's say it with me. What can I do to help? Ooh, it's scary to even ask that question right now, isn't it? And th this is a principle I, I learned from a pastor. Uh, his name is Andy Stanley. And uh, so I didn't create this all by myself, but this principle has really shaped my family. And even as I've been extra preparing for the sermon, I've been practicing this with Amrita a lot. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And she didn't know that this is what I was preaching about. And by the end of the week, she just started organically asking me, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And th this question does a lot of things. So this is how we apply mutual submission. And I, I just want to let you know, if you start, like, especially if you are a, a child with a, and you're still living with your parents, like Eli, if you ask your parents this question, they are going to freak out. They're going to fall on the floor and just cry. Yeah. My baby boy, Eli. What if, Eli, if you want some extra points with your family, do this in front of their friends. Yeah. Mother. <laughs> Mommy, what can, I, what can I do to help? Her friends are going to be like, teach us how to parent. You have unlocked the mysteries of this earth. People will freak out. It's this whole question. What can I do to help? And this is saying, hey, this question, what it communicates is, I am loaning me to you. I am willing to give all of me for all of us. Can you imagine what that will do to a family? I am willing to give all of me for all of us. And this creates so many things. Like, you know, as a husband, I can tell when Amrita is about to ask me to do something around the house. She, she just gets this aura this vibe, and I just, you know, I learn how to sneak around the house. <laughs> oh, what's outside? <laughs> but what's happened in our family at times is when Amrita's about to ask me for help, she can feel resistance bubbling up for me. And it, it's created almost an, a, a dynamic where she's afraid to ask me for help. And I think that might happen in a lot of our families. Like, people are afraid to ask you for help. But when we can ask this question, hey, what can I do to help? It opens the doors for love through mutual submission. It communicates, hey, I, I am invested in you, I care about you, and I'm giving you me. I'm here, and in our families, isn't that what we wanna know? That I am here for you, I am there for you, whether it's your parents, your kids, or siblings, spouses, anything, cousins, people want to know, I am here for you. And so when you ask, what can I do to help, it's like you're saying, hey, I am willing to come up under your burden. I see that you are carrying things in life, and I care about you. So, hey, I'm willing to go off course of what I want to do and submit to what you want to do by asking, what can I do to help? And so many times, especially like in parenting relationships, so many of our conversations can get negative. Where we're like, hey, kids, do this. Kids, do that. Hey, get in line. And our conversations can get so negative. But when we take a moment and we look our family member in the eye and say, hey, like I'm not, I'm not just going to correct you. I'm not just going to ask for something from you. How can I help you today? What can I do for you? How can I be like Jesus in your life and demonstrate mutual submission? It opens the doors for our people to be loved. It says, I am giving me for you. 
I notice that you have a burden and that matters to me and I want to help. Let's practice it again. What? One more time with confidence. What can I do to help? And so when we ask this question, there's a fear, right? Like, what if people actually take me up on it? And uh, you know, I know, like, oh man, if I if I ask my mom this question, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the backyard picking up dog poop for the rest of my life. If I if I ask my husband this, like, I'm just gonna be just doing all sorts of things I don't want to do. Uh, like, what what if someone actually takes me up on this? This is so scary. Uh, like, I know if I ask Amrita this question, I'm gonna be you know in my garage assembling this like super high tech race car that my dad bought for my son that's actually nicer than my car. It has like, you know, an aux cord for like, you know, uh, you know your, your iPhone and it's like electric. And I'm like, man, my son has a better car for me. I just don't have the time to assemble it. And I just let, let it r like rot and collect dust in the garage. I know when I ask Amrita that question at the right time of day, she's like, hey, why, why don't you assemble that race car for me? So I avoid the question. And I, I have this fear. Some of you guys are already thinking, like, what would happen if I asked that question? Or you're thinking, oh, my, my family is so, like, disrespectful. I'm just going to set myself up for hurt. I'm going to get taken advantage of. And I, I don't want to do that. Well, here's the deal, though. We are following in the example of Jesus. And I love that Jesus asked this question to his father. He said, Father, hey, what, what can I do to help? And Father's probably saying, hey, oh, Jesus, you might not like this because it's going to require you give up your life. You die on the cross. And Jesus, he sacrificed it all, but when it comes to our families, I feel like so much of our time is spent leaning away from our families. But what this question does is it helps you to lean into your families. And some of us, we have, we have families that they think we are moody, they think we are selfish, and if you're afraid to ask this question, it is because you're selfish. It's because you're afraid of not having your way and doing what you want to do and having to submit to what somebody else wants to do. But when we ask this question, we are like Jesus. But so many people in our lives, they're just leaning into us. Lean, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? And many of us, we, especially for those of us who feel called to be the head of our home, we're like, I'm large and in charge. I'm in control. So I will be happy as long as people do the things that I want to do. But the fact is, you're not happy. More control hasn't made you happy. If you want to be happy in your family, you're going to find it through mutual submission by giving yourself to one another. But people in our lives, man, they're just leaning into us, asking the question, how can I finally make you happy? How can I make you okay with yourself? They're just leaning in, leaning in, and leaning in, and leaning into you, and the fact is you're never happy. And people are leaning in so much to please you that they're falling over. Because you never ask this question, what can I do to help? And I feel like if you're not a Christian, this is a totally optional thing. You know, I believe that this will help your family. I believe this will make a great difference in your family culture. But to be frank and honest, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't really have a choice. We are called to give of ourselves. We are called to surrender in mutual submission. Not out of reverence for one another, but out of reverence for Christ. 
out of reverence for Christ. In uh, Philippians, the scriptures say this about Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. To love his family, Jesus sacrificed his life. Loving Jesus cost him his life. And I want to say the same thing to you all. As you lean into your families, as you ask, what can I do to help? You're going to find yourself dying. And then you're in right company with Jesus. Because he helped his family. He submitted to his family so much that he said, I will give my life for you. All of me for all of us. Can the same thing be said of us? You know, I'll close with this story. Um, you know, my, my stepdad, he, he was recently diagnosed with cancer, and the doctors told him he had about a year to live. And so we're about four months into that, and he wanted to create memories with all of his, uh, you know, stepchildren, his children, the family around him. He wanted to create memories before he didn't have the strength to create, like, fun memories. And so he's, he was an active guy, you know, he taught me the principle of free adventure and loving nature and canoeing, and we biked across Minnesota when he first became my stepdad, and I hated that, but eventually I, I learned to love it. And uh, it's so crazy, he, he had so much, like, power in that he was recently diagnosed with cancer, so we're like, we'll do whatever you want to do. Like, you know, say the word, you have all the power. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter what I want to do at all. What do you want to do? And he gathered us to his house a couple months ago in California. And he, uh, he says, yes, the doctors tell me I'm dying. I'm going to fight this thing. But I want to create some healthy memories with all of us. And so one of the memories I want to leave in your mind is this. And he actually did what Jesus did in this passage we read. He pulled out a, a bucket and filled it with water. And so my stepdad, uh, my dad who's invested so much in my life, my stepdad that uh, really is one of the people that helped my family get on their feet through so many things, who really taught me a lot about the gospel. He was a pastor, he trained me in so many ways. And he, he pulled out this cloth and he, he began to wash all of our feet. And he's saying, hey, in my last moments, I wanna let you know, I'm willing to give all of me for all of you. I'm leaning into you. I know I could have you do any chores I wanted, but my last thing is I don't want you to just serve me and make me feel comfortable. I want to submit my life to you. What can I do for you? And that's an image that will stick with me forever. And so, hey, if you feel called to be the head of the home, it's, this isn't a message as much about authority as much as it's a message of what do we do with authority? And as Christians, those in power are commissioned with the task of helping those without power. We are Christian when we choose to give our power away. And that's how we can create a healthy family dynamic. And, and many of you are saying, oh, I don't want to ask that question. And let me, let me leave you with this final quote. When you want to ask this question the least, that's when you need to ask it the most. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just pray that we would have healthy family culture at Kalos Church. Lord, help us to submit to one another out of reverence for what you did on the cross. Lord, you gave your lives. You helped us experience life and life abundantly. And I pray that we would do that in our families as well.
Lord, we repent if we've been selfish and everybody's leaning into us. But right now, we make a decision to lean into our families and say, all of me for all of us. I will love my family from head to toe. In the name of Jesus, amen. I believe our best family dynamics are ahead of us. Amen, Kayla Church? Can you imagine what this is going to do? It's going to be amazing. Hey, you know, if you're in this place and you don't have a relationship with God, you feel stuck in sin and shame and guilt, maybe you're far from God and you're saying, I want, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want a relationship with him. I'm telling you what, that's the best decision you can ever make. And I want to pray for you if you're saying, hey, I want to make that commitment. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be free of sin. I want to be forgiven. I want a fresh start. I want to pray for you right now. So I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I want to create a safe environment for all of us. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're in this place and you're saying, hey, Pastor Pradeepin, would you include me in that prayer? I want, I want forgiveness. I want a fresh start. I want to follow Jesus. Would you include me in that prayer? If that's you, on the count of three, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? One, two, three. Lift up your hand so I can see it. I want to pray for you this morning. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put this prayer on the screen. And let's, let's pray this prayer together, especially for those of you who are wanting to follow Jesus. Let's say this all at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause?